Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello, and welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. My name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices of the visual workplace its concepts, tools, methods, strategies, the people and the results of workplace visuality, the technologies of the visual workplace, and how they help us let the workplace speak. The outcome, informational transparency, and informational transparency is synonymous, is the same as flow. You know, Ono said it, flow where you can, pull where you must. Visuality, implements flow. And you also get cultural alignment, a robust, spirited, and engaged workforce on all levels of the enterprise, not just value-add associates, not just, I beg your pardon, not just operators and touch labor, but everyone. You, too. You, too. So much to say about this, so much. So, I'm going to kind of get the technical stuff or the kind of admin stuff out of the way, and then we're going to jump into the final part of our very small but powerful series on borders. And the admin stuff is please visit us on our website, visualworkplace.com. There is much on that website that is for you to just pull to you. There are articles, over 100 of them, podcasts, podcasts of these radio shows, my books, the products and services that we deliver on site as we help companies convert to a workplace that speaks. And when they do, of course, everything changes. The transformation, all the transformational tools. We have the expertise. We have the knowledge. We have the know-how. We've been doing this for four decades, and we're really good at what we do. We represent the field, the field called Workplace visuality, that includes visual management, but it includes much, much more. Visual management is a subset of the visual workplace, not the umbrella. The umbrella is workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak through many voices to everyone. It is a language that we are designing, designing to embed into the living landscape of work so that it is there to talk to us when and as we need it, whoever we are. And it speaks to us in a language we understand because we have made it so. We've implemented, as I put it, eye-driven. It is specific to the individual. It is specific to the organizational level. It is a rich, robust, and complete language because we have made it so. We have learned how to do that. It's iterative, but it is also innovative. So visit us at our website, visualworkplace.com. And if you want more information or if you want to arrange for me or one of our affiliates to work with you at your at your company, please email us at visualworkplace. I beg your pardon, email us at radio at visualworkplace.com. Or you can call our main number, which is 503-233-1784, if you wish. But an email is great. You have traceability and you can be sure that it will reach us, radio at visualworkplace.com. We are happy to help. So, welcome, welcome. And let us jump into the final in our series about borders. Borders, the hidden power of your visual work environment. Borders, the indispensable first step on your journey to operational excellence. The foundation of your foundation underestimate borders at your peril. Love your visual management, love your dashboards and your displays and your production control boards and your andons and color code systems, love your Hoshin, but revere your borders. Revere them and do them, implement them very, very well. 
If you want to invest in visuality and get that bang for your buck that you call ROI, invest in borders as an early, early step. So I'm going to conclude my mini-series on borders, five episodes of nearly one hour each. Think about that. How long do you take to teach what you call borders, these labels and lines? Well, you know, I've seen it stretched to 45 minutes, but it's usually done in about 20 minutes, and then you take an hour or two to implement. And, you know, you can say, what, is she nuts? Is she crazy? Five shows on borders? I can teach that in 20 minutes, Gwetty. Have I gone over the edge? Or am I unduly fussy about these tiny little bits and pieces I call borders? Or... Do I really know what I'm talking about? Well, of course, I favor the latter, the last thing that I do know. And I have learned in nearly four decades of implementations that when I sing the praises of borders, I do know what I'm talking about. Because you know what? They can be pretty. They can even be stunning. But the main thing they are are functional. They are functional. Not because the Japanese have sold me the formula. On the contrary, they did not. Indeed, when I met that formula in in the 1980s, much as I respect the Japanese and their improvement thinking and their tools and methods, etc., and their success, I was not a fan of their approach way back when of these lines and labels what I call borders. Very early on, I thought, no, you know, something's wrong here. I couldn't see how they did anything but kept things orderly, a place for everything and everything in its place. I mean, that's a nice homily. It's a nice little saying. But, you know, what else can you do for me besides location, besides giving me a place for things, besides neat and clean? I was pretty uh, grumpy about that as an outcome, as a final outcome. What else can you do for me? (laughs) How about function? How about more than just framing a machine or framing a bench? How about more than simply designating aisles so the forklifts stay between the yellow lines? How about borders that reflect, for example, work content and the pace of work? How about borders that make retrievability a reliable and precise outcome, even if you have varying levels of pull? How about building time into borders so that the pace and the finer levels of work content are revealed, but more than that embedded part of the process itself? What what can you do for me, you silly little lines? How about becoming borders? How about not just reflecting where things are, but contributing to work itself? This is what I say. This is what I said. You know, there's more here. I had this impossible dream. (laughs) I had this impossible dream that borders could actually be contributing. And in working with operators and companies over the last 40 years, they proved it to me. I taught them everything I knew about what I called borders, and they taught me back. They said, okay, we're going to take your learning and we're going to make it go further. And they did everything that I've learned about borders beyond my first and initial kind of falling in love with them was given to me by companies that were doing it on the operator level and doing it eye-driven, where the operators owned the landscape of work. They owned it, they found their work content, they found the pattern of work, they surfaced it through borders, and I taught them, and then they taught me. And so today we're going to conclude this mini-series on borders, but let me say it in a nutshell What I am presenting to you is the foundation of the foundation called performance. I am presenting to you a system of thinking, a system of performance thinking. I went through four of the seven elements of that performance system, that template, in the last show. 
after I spent three shows just kind of talking to you about the wide range of borders and uh, tidbits, components of that thinking. But today I want to complete it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I have this thought as I'm talking to you. I remember I gave a presentation in Hartford, Connecticut about six months ago. I was a Greater Boston Manufacturing Partnership asked me to come in and make a presentation. And I said, I'd like to do a whole hour on borders. Now, I don't see anything unusual about that. So there were a couple of eyebrows raised. And I said, I think that would be very interesting to take it seriously enough to have it stand alone and uh, explored. My good friend, Bruce Hamilton, said, go ahead, and I did. And afterwards, a couple of the kind of movers and shakers, the heads of companies, a couple of them came up to me or sent me an email a few days later and said, I, I, I was kind of really interested in what you're saying about borders, but I was also surprised. Please call me. And I will tell you that what I'm going to be doing is sending these three, these five shows to those executives so that they can listen to this and they can understand that there is something. There is a opportunity and a possibility of performance transformation by adopting a system of borders as a system of performance thinking. The thinking reflects the depth of the performance and it can be fully owned by operators. I want to also mention that I do a ton of work with executives and with GMs, general managers, and with the executive level. I do a ton of work with supervisors, and I do it as thoroughly and as completely as I can. I give it its due, just as I do on the operator level. Hmm? We all have, we have this voice, this contribution that we make that is both ourselves but also the organization organizational level that we perform on and within that organizational level we want to make that superb we want to explore it and own it and express it and contribute it fully I like the work of Kusas, I'm sorry his first name escapes me right now, but Posner and Kusas did wonderful books on leadership. And one of the things they said, I read their books like 20 years ago, but one of the things that they said and I've adopted as part of my own leadership work is to talk about how our work, our jobs are sometimes just too small for our spirit, that we have this immense capacity to express and create and, of course, perform and contribute. But we have this artistry inside of us that whatever canvas you give us, we can make it better because we want to own it and explore it and make it more beautiful to improve it. This ability, this built-in CPK we have, for improvement. This is not something that is fundamentally taught. It is ignited. It is ignited. And you've heard me speak about this at great lengths. It is the pattern-seeking mechanism of the mind, this urgency of the mind, this insistence of the mind to find and interpret visual data. That is the beginning of finding the pattern. And once we find that pattern, once we make sense out of that visual landscape, we use that as a platform to find a higher level of expression, a higher level of pattern. And we go up step by step. We pause for a moment and we appreciate and enjoy whatever pattern we just found, whatever sense we've just found. And ineluctably, inevitably, unstoppably, we look for the next level of pattern, of visual data. We organize it in our mind, built on the previous. And this is pleasure. This is pleasure. And I say to operators, as I say to you, enjoy the pleasures of your mind. But right now, 
CEOs and executives and CI leaders and lean practitioners. You must give your operators a chance to find that opportunity to enjoy their mind by giving them frameworks of thinking. And that's what I'm presenting to you today. I'm presenting you the seven elements that are the framework that compose, that represent the framework of thinking, and we're focused very closely simply on borders, very closely. Not neat and clean and labels and lines, but, but function, function that allows us to go deeper and to understand more. Why borders? Why borders? Bother. Borders are a system of thinking, just as visuality is, a system of thinking first, and then a system of doing. But it is that understanding that will trigger these layers and layers of interest and commitment and exploration of some lowly thing that you used to call lines. Hmm? So the seven elements of that system, which work together, these elements work together, and I described it to you in our last show as a template like tiles, six-sided tiles, they're called hexagon. There's a center tile, and then around each of the six edges is another tile, so that gives you a seven-element daisy configuration. It's a geometric configuration. The beautiful thing about using geometric form in teaching and in is that the mind will accept that geometric form and learn from the form itself. I talked about this when we were talking about the X-type matrix. The form itself teaches us. So this form of six hexagons around a center hexagon looking like a flower and its petals automatically demonstrates the relationship between the elements and demonstrates that they are of equal importance and demonstrates that together they make a whole. This represents the synergy of the elements working together. That's all there without those sentences. You just know it right away, intuitively. You're looking at parts, but you're appreciating them as a whole. They are as one. They are one. And yet you can see the uh, distinctions between these very important elements or components. So I went through this, the center element, which is your ROI, as a matter of, in a manner of speaking, is your results. That is in the center of the daisy, the very center, golden center of the daisy. And then we begin at 12 o'clock with I-driven, which means the ownership, the intellectual, And also the deployment ownership is, in this case, because we're talking about borders, owned by operators. If we were talking about supervisors, they would be the I and the I-driven. That's the way the I-driven model works. It doesn't mean that you own it and nobody else can touch it. It means that you are interested and that the methodology gives you a way to explore that interest, to get acquainted and to push against the edges, and to get to know, to become acquainted. Uh, thinking about my work many, many years ago in hospice, I'm not sure I'm, I can make a, a quick analogy here, but I remember at the beginning I was being taught by uh, just an outstanding practitioner in England where hospice actually began, the English who care so carefully for their old and their, uh, their dying that, uh, oh boy, I'll have, to, I'll have to find his name deep in the archives. This was like 30, no, it must have been more than 30 years. Yeah, it was, what was that? That was the 1970s. I started a couple of hospices. Who knew I was going to end up in factories? <laughs> I'm glad I'm here, but boy, I could not give you the journey how that happened. I'd have to go through the soap opera of my life to figure out how that happened. But but I remember that part of what this, and he was a doctor, was very, he had, you know, that healthy face that, that, um, that English people have because they walk so much. They just all, always walking their land. They're always walking their country. There are these trips to, to cross England in its narrow middle. And people do that every year. They walk across their country. 
it takes about four or five days. So they're very healthy. They always have these wonderfully ruddy cheeks and bright, sparkling eyes. I really give it to the English boy. They, they know how to make their, they get to know their land. Anyway, so the doctor, he said, you know, there's this prejudice against cancer. And at the time there was, cancer was the, the C word. And you never said it out loud and you never got the diagnosis directly because it was too frightening and too offensive and too abrupt at any time. Things have changed greatly since then. But he said, you just want to get closer. And and he showed us a picture. It was a, a slideshow, which was kind of a primitive technology at the time. It overtook, what was that called? Transparencies and the overhead projector. Remember that? Some of you do. Plastic on a light that then would project through a lens and throw it on the screen. Well, this whole idea of PowerPoint and slideshows <laughs> took over. So he showed us, he said, and he showed us a picture of a man in a bed quite far away, maybe 15 feet away. And then he just kept bringing us closer and closer and closer. And he talked about how the closer we got, the more we would know. And the more that we would understand this person's dilemma, and the more that we would open to the possibility of knowing more. So I know it's a little bit of a stretch to bring hospice into the discussion of uh, borders, but this was a very strong image I had a moment ago when I was talking to you about eye-driven is that you get closer. It's not that you own it and you keep everybody else off the real estate because the field belongs to you. It's that you get to know it very, very well. You take ownership of that exploration, of that getting to know, and you know it very, very well, and you become a kind of impresario or a, a conductor, a, a mu- an artist, of borders, and I've seen that transformation happen hundreds and hundreds of times in the mind and the faces and the demeanor and the performance of operators. You give them a field and they own it. This is their sandbox and they love it and talk about it so so affectionately and so completely. They know it's every move. That's what I driven is like. Combine that with element three which is brain function. Excuse me, I don't have to go through the results again, do I? They're astonishing. But listen to the last show and you'll get an earful of results. I want to complete this tonight, so I don't have to repeat that, right? So brain, you, you combine this kind of curiosity, this sense of exploration, this desire for discovery, the sweet taste of discovery at work, You combine that with what the brain wants to do anyway, which is to know and to organize and to create a platform. You combine that with eye-driven. Combine eye-driven with brain function and you have a powerful engine, a powerful engine. You've got the engine and we now move to element four, which is the information deficit, and the information deficit is the enemy. The information deficit is the enemy of performance. Missing answers, missing information. This enemy does not exist. It has no physical presence because the problem is it isn't there. That's why it's the enemy, because it's missing Mm-hmm. The purpose of the visual workplace is to supply those missing answers so that we can flow and the struggle stops. And as far as borders are concerned, the big information deficit for anyone who is doing physical work, it's slightly different and importantly different, slightly and importantly different in offices. But right now we're talking about manufacturing. Okay? So we put the... We put the info. Let me just say this clearly. Pardon me. I just want to make this entry point clear for you. The most important information deficit on any manufacturing floor, any floor where there is the physical conversion of material into work, 
or same thing with utilities where the process is deeply embedded of processing material so that it can be delivered in some very useful form such as gas, electricity, any kind of utility or mining where there is a physical component. The most clarion urgent question is where? Where? When that question is not thoroughly, completely, physically, and clearly answered as a visual device, people will search for that answer. It will interrupt their flow. It will impact their performance, and it will depress the workplace. The power of the where. Single question. Single question deployment. Answer that question thoroughly. That's the big information deficit as the fourth element of this template of seven elements. The fourth element is the invisibility, the non-presence, the non-availability of the answer to that question, where? How are you going to find that this question has not been answered? Well, you move to the fifth element. And the fifth element is motion. This is your lever. The engine is brain function and eye-driven. You've got the human there with curiosity and with demand. They know that something is missing. They want to find out what it is. We know what they will find out, that the answer to the where question isn't there, and that will stop them from all of their work. And so we give them a lever, and that level is motion moving without working. That is the fifth element, moving without working. That was Ono's definition of motion. He, I credit him for doing it. There have been stories about someone else doing it, but the evidence speaks clearly to me that it was Ono who did it, Taichi Ono, the co-architect with Shigeo Shingo of the Toyota production system, and he saw that the machine was working and the man wasn't. It used to irritate him. This is what Shingo told me. He said, Ono-san used to get so irritated at the machine working, 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 and the man would watch it work. And he wanted a name for that evil, for that waste, and he said, I'm going to call it motion. Not the same as movement, but motion. He, He made a term of art. Motion is moving without working. When I saw that in 1994 or 5, and I was writing my first book on visuality, one that's currently out of print, and we're trying to work on that now, uh, Visual Systems Harnessing the Power of the Visual Workplace is its name. You can get it on Amazon as a used book. It's a good book, hardcover. We're going to republish it soon. We're working on it. Mm, let me get back to where I was. my long detours. So I credit Ono for that. And when I was writing that book, I said I need a way for people to be able to dig in to their work and understand when a visual device is needed. And it came to me pretty much in a flash, wow, motion is exactly the way to express that. Because when there's an information deficit, people are wandering around, they're searching, they're asking questions, they're interrupting, they're not getting the answer because the answer doesn't exist. Perfect. This can be the lever for digging into work and finding out where the information deficits are. And that's what I used. Motion now is part of the eight building blocks of visual thinking. As far as the visual wear is concerned, it's really easy to spot because you, in fact, move around with your feet, your mouth opens and talks and asks, where is this and where is that and have you seen and do you know where my pliers are? Do you know where my pliers are? Because until I find my pliers, I can't even start my work. I am not capable of making a mistake because I can't even start. So don't you worry about my mistakes. Find me my pliers. And that was the association between 5S and its usefulness. 
that it would be a place for everything and everything in its place. But it does not address the huge quantity of motion that is tied to the missing answer to the where question. And so we turn that over to our operators and say, notice your motion. Notice when you are moving and not working. Notice when you, for example, leave your value field where you do your work in order to get what you need so you can continue your work. Notice your motion. Motion is moving without working. And what is work? Work is moving and adding value. Where do you move? Where do you add value? You add it when you're in the value in your value field. Name it. Name your primary value field and know that any time that you are forced to leave your value field, you are automatically in motion. That means there's an information deficit. Find out what it is. Seek it and find it. See yourself in motion. Ask yourself, what is the trigger? What is the information deficit? And then put a visual device in its place. 99 times out of 100, the first cycle, second cycle, third cycle of visuality for the operator, it's going to be the where question. It's going to be the where question that will differentiate, for example, the placement of family of parts. I spoke to you the last time of the Acupress, where the operators at Crown Equipment in Queretaro in Plant One insisted on this unbelievably beautiful but subtle array of borders, purple and a kind of pale gold. We had a color code system for borders, but I never imagined that it would be applied in this particular way. And they used internal borders and internal colors to their department to differentiate between family of parts, and this was very important to them. We couldn't talk them out of it. Oh, no, no, don't do borders like that because it looks like you're just painting a piece of art. No, no. Gwendolyn, actually, they spoke with Liz Garraby, who's the uh, coordinator there at WTMS, a brilliant young woman. No, Liz, we want it, we want it, we want it. Please, step aside (laughs) before we have to move you aside. So you see, it's eye-driven, it's the information deficit, it's brain function, it's discovery, it's the thinking system that becomes a performance system, a system of thinking that results in performance. And the borders were laid down, and a tremendous amount of relief was put in its place, where the, where the operator said, oh, finally at last. Motion, moving without working. Motion is anything you have to do that is in order to do your work. Motion is anything you have to do in order to do your work, but it is not your work. What is work? It is moving and adding value. Where do you work? In your value field. Motion is the lever for discovering information deficits because they are invisible. All we do is react to the absence of information by leaving our value field, by searching, by walking, by asking questions. So that's the fifth element. The sixth element actually happens before borders, happens before this beautiful pattern of a family of parts happened in Queretaro, and that is smart placement. Now, I've been receiving emails from you to say, I got about 10 of them after, right after our last show. It was aired, and like within an hour, 10 emails came, and I thought, okay, this is good. People have asked me to read, to go through the Work That Makes Sense book, which is operator-led visuality, Work That Makes Sense. You can get it on Amazon or from our website, because they know what I know. When I read this book, I will bring up examples that are in addition to the book and I will make it very much come alive. But they said, help us with this first. We understand your 10-doorway model, which is the visual thinking, visual workplace, visual thinking book, but we want to deep dive into 
work that makes sense. And in it, we will spend quite a few shows on smart placement. Smart placement is what precedes borders. It is where the thinking comes in about the relationship between function. Function plus location equals flow. What is the correct relationship between this bench and that machine with this pile of whip, these on-hold pallets? How can I shrink the footprint? How can I use the existing architecture? How can I make the value field appear and disappear at will? I just named three of the 14 principles of smart placement. And operators go through that. In our online system, we spend four modules, four modules, that's four training sessions on smart placement because it's that important. And then we lay down the borders and that and the borders function, 18 different types of borders. So you get this refinement in operations that is created by the operators and for them. And the work becomes visible. And the need becomes transparent. This becomes a force in your operational system. So many of you have said that your operators are so important. I'd like you to go a step further and offer them a college education. It's called Work That Makes Sense in how to make their own work area not just excellent, but visually excellent. Because it can't be excellent unless it's visually excellent. And they will own it and love it and develop it and they will teach you through it. And they will teach all of your executives the principles and practices of visuality. They will command this environment because you have made it possible for them to study it and to learn and to get their degree to get their degree in visuality, to develop a language that is their own, a language that they can hear because it is in a voice that they themselves have designed. Borders begin there. Borders are the single most powerful visual device for operators, more powerful than they can know until they do it, and you can know until you see it. The visual wear lays down the pattern of work. It is a criteria-based outcome. You can judge it. If you want to say you can audit it, but let them audit it themselves. Let it be self-audits. Different show. I think I did that one about a year ago. Motion is a uniquely reliable mechanism for seeing missing information. It is the device that allows visuality to be a developmental improvement process. Motion is PDCA built in. It is your feedback loop. It is the metric. Motion is the lever. The reduction of motion is visuality's First KPI, the enemy is missing answers, information deficits, its footprint is motion, motion is the lever, okay? Motion, anything you have to do, or you cannot do your work, but it is not your work. This is common language for a visual thinker, so many operators. With the lever of motion, and it is used when we identify Smart placement. People, operators do maps that surface the motion and including the motion of risk. With that lever, lever, people become scientists of their own work, scientists of borders, scientists of motion. Without a lever, without a lever, the visual wear and therefore borders, cannot be developmental. It cannot grow. Without a level, people, a lever, without a lever, (laughs) people deploying borders can't grow in the process of growing borders. There's nothing to learn. There's no mechanism for learning. Okay, so this is so important. 
educate your operators and they will bring a 15 to 30% increase in your productivity. In their productivity, they will bring this to you. You will have to take care of the noise in the system, but there are other visual tools for addressing that. But they will do their part and they will show you that if you ask for 16, you know they're capable of 20. Whether you can make money on that 20 is going to be the result of your macro system, the noise in your system, but they will deliver much, much more. 25, 42, I think I've told you 42 is the most we've ever seen. So this smart placement that pre- that precedes the laying down of borders is indispensable and it is the first moment of ownership, the first moment of embrace where the operators say, you know, you told me you were going to let me do it and you let me do it. And you didn't just let me do it, but you let the people that I work with do it too. You didn't just select me because I'm well-behaved and smart. You selected the grumpy people, too. They're in the room with me. They're in the room with me, and they're contributing. Some of them are outpacing me. They're just a little grumpy. They have some hard hard things to handle in their life, or they've had it, and they have the habit of just being grumpy. But now they're working with me, and they're not just working with me on the day shift. But on the night shift, thank you for making that possible. Thank you for letting me work with the second shift as well. Thank you for giving us the time to improve your system because we will. And we will go beyond anything that we can imagine right now because we have the tools for going deeper and going more completely into this science that we call motion. Motion is the lever. And I want to go back to an earlier theme, but motion cannot happen if you are not eye-driven. Motion will not produce the results that I mentioned in the first element unless you allow the brain to think, to do what it wants to do, what it can do, and in fact, the only thing that it can do, which is to find pattern and build on that pattern and become brilliant. Let us find, because you've educated them to me, let us find the information deficits and let us attack them, destroy them through visual devices, make them go away, eliminate them totally. Visuality is a waste a waste reduction strategy of the highest level. <laughs> but I don't like speaking about it that way because then you kind of, in your mind, some folks do, they merge it with lean. And yet it is distinctly and importantly different. If you merge it with lean, you will lose the edge of visuality and your lean will suffer. Visual and lean are the two wings of a bird. Which wing is more important? It's a bad question. Ask the bird and the bird will fly away in perfect balance with each wing beating separately but in harmony with the other wing. That's the way visual and lean work together. So do you see how what I want to do is use this daisy, these seven elements, to have a conversation in depth with you about borders because that for me is also a doorway to talk to you about operators and whatever contribution they have been making if you don't help them learn to think visually and deploy from that thinking there's so much more that you haven't yet touched I hope that I'm making a convincing case. I wanted to be orderly about that. And in fact, uh, I think that it it certainly makes sense to me. (laughs) I hope it makes sense to you. I am challenged. I'm challenged by the audio landscape and not the visual landscape of a radio show. But it's one of the things that I've loved about it, that my words have to be clear so that you can enter into the pictures that I'm drawing 
and the connections that I'm making. I have to find the words. And those are words that you can use while you're expressing your own understanding, what you've learned when we're together. Somebody the other day, (laughs) my friend in Poland, he said, oh, you're a perfectionist. (laughs) I I thought, oh, I am deeply offended. And I said, no, I thought it was a good answer that I gave him. I gave him this answer. I said, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm a teacher. (laughs) I'm not sure he got the difference, but I did. I want to get it right for you. I want you to understand. Because I know when you understand, we don't have to talk about why. We can just start doing it. I want to give you a good why. And these discoveries are the discoveries that I've made myself uh, in this wonderful field, this field that I've been given to plow and to grow daisies in, (laughs) visuality. It is the love of my life. (laughs) So let me move on to the final element. The final element really is the harvest. It is the 18 types of borders. The extent to which your borders are effective is directly related to the extent to which your operators have become scientists of their own work, scientists of the process of work. Borders is the vehicle for their education. It is both practical and immediate, and it is a journey, a learning of discovery. We learn so much when we attempt to put down the pattern of work that is sufficient to create flow, to remove the barriers and accelerate the flow. We say an accelerated flow that you control at will. Of course, the control of the flow is the demand of your, of your work product, your production schedule. But operators can control a great deal of that within their department. And you, who are in charge of the macro system, you can control the rest. Which is to say, when I say control, I mean improve and really make sing, make it work. So, on my list of things that I wanted to say to you today in this final module, a final episode of our kind of deep dive into borders, the indispensable first element of the visual wear, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the depot environment, which has caused so much agony (laughs) for our military and for any place that does overhaul and repair. There's one more thing niggling at my mind. Let me see if it will um, come forward. No, okay, so it's going to be depot. The depot environment is such a powerful demonstration of the power of the visual wear or borders as the first element because it's an environment where pull cannot function. It, it functions pull and the tools or principles of lean function, but on a very limited basis. You can do standard work on, on some of your microprocesses within uh, departments or organizational areas, uh, components. But the macro environment is what defeats the depot. And the, and the power visuality has been hugely underutilized in that environment. It has been limited by the understanding of visuality by the lean practitioners who have attempted to make a contribution there, but because they have really a limited understanding, uh, they have not been able to go far enough. And I want to say, if you're a lean practitioner and you're listening, one of the best investments that you can make is to get the system called Work That Makes Sense, the online system, and Shingo is going to begin to market it in about six weeks or so as soon as we finish our part. We're uh, um, kind of getting it ready in great detail. One of the best investments you can make to understand the power of the floor as you help your clients is to get a hold of the Work That Makes Sense system. It's available now. Just study it. It's in English 
and in Spanish. Maybe it'll be in Polish someday. And I know uh, I have some friends who are translating it now, some of our affiliates, into Chinese. Maybe that will happen. It sounds extremely complicated and impossible to get on a slide because the language is so different. But they're worrying about it. I'm not. But it is one of the, it is an education that you can bring directly to your clients and you will look like a hero because you will achieve an understanding of visuality that is more than simply this kind of 5S color code and on thing or production control boards. This is a deep understanding and it's from the operator's level. Think about 18 different types of borders that you can help people deploy in order to surface the shifts and requirements of either a complex system or something like the military depot, which is complex only because visuality is in such short supply. But visuality and the visual wear is the doorway through which the depot can easily increase its productivity by 20%. You know, we're supporting our our forces. We're all patriots. We're supporting the military. Let's get the stuff out to them quickly. So I want to thank you very much for spending this time with me. Um, In our next show, we'll begin something new, 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 new. And we will incorporate the smart placement very soon because it looks as though I'm going to be doing work that makes sense, which really makes me happy. And I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it for the day. I think that's a good, a good, um, good walk through how the model works together. These seven elements, beginning with results, in the center of the daisy, going up to twelve o'clock. I driven, brain function, bringing in that powerful element, information deficits, the enemy, motion, which is the lever for finding the enemy. The footprint of the enemy is the motion. And then smart placement, which we'll go into in detail. And then the 18 types of borders, which brings us to 10 o'clock. And we move then to iDriven at noon. Thank you very much for your attention during your very busy day. I know things are accelerating. I've had a wonderful time with you. I want to wish you such a good journey to wherever you're going. And I hope workplace visuality is a part of that is part of what you seek on your journey and as a destination. Visual thinkers unite. (laughs) This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I wish you well. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.